0: Good to see you. Uh, as has already been said, my name is Philip. you don't know me, one of the pastors here, I lead the team. And uh, Caroline and I and Izzy bring greetings from Istanbul in Turkey, where we were last weekend. Uh, we were visiting. It's been, if you know, John and Sophie Ford and their family and the church that they've planted out there, and just helping them to transition back towards here, back towards Kingston in the summer, and indeed helping the church to transition into new leadership. And so we just wanted to, uh, they wanted to bring their thanks to you for your prayers and your support. Uh, We felt they were doing well. They were in good heart. I think they're obviously really sad in many ways about leaving. It wasn't what they'd planned or prayed for. So there's sadness there, which is just part of being an authentic Christian, that you acknowledge that. And at the same time, there's also lots of faith there, lots of confidence in God. They're looking forward in many ways to, to coming back into this church and blessing us and serving us, and we're looking forward very much to that. So it's kind of a both-and story, I would say, uh, for them. The church, we look, there were some good conversations ongoing. If you are interested in what's going to happen to the church, I hope you are, because we, we love them and have invested much in them. Uh, there are good conversations ongoing, I think it's best to say. And I think in the next month or so, we'll be clearer as to what the new leadership dynamic looks like in the life of the church. So good things happen and more to say in the coming months. I think the highlight, as much as we loved um, seeing Istanbul and jumping on a ferry and getting from Europe to Asia in the space of a 10-minute uh, ferry and hanging out with the Fords and their kids, probably the highlight for me certainly was a conversation I had which I'd love to tell you about with a young man from Afghanistan. I won't tell you his name because it's a little bit sensitive, you'll see in a moment. But this young man from Afghanistan, I uh, got to meet him on the Sunday morning at the church service and then got to see him again in the evening. And uh, I found out that he'd become a Christian and was keen to find out some of his, some of his story. And he told me this. He said that he was a soldier in Afghanistan, the Afghanistan army, uh, and he decided that he needed to leave Afghanistan and get away. He said he'd been kind of searching, seeking for a long time, not content with what the Muslim faith had to offer him or Afghanistan had to offer him. And so he found himself in Istanbul, didn't know a Old, young man of kind of late 20s or so, and uh, I was asking him, So, what, what happened next? And he said, Well, one day he was just out in this, just in a, a shop, I think, and a, and a Canadian person just got chatting to him and invited him to a party. Uh, and this Canadian person was part of a, like, a little small group of Canadian Christians in the, in the city. And so he thought, well, I don't know anybody, I'll, I'll go along to a party, that sounds good. And at the party there were a bunch of non-Christians, Christians, Americans, Canadians, Turks, and so on and so forth. And at this party, somebody else, an American Christian, invited him to come to a Bible study of some sort. And again he thought, wow. Well, I've not much interest in the Bible, but I've got interest in meeting people, so I guess I'll, I'll go along. So he then went along to his Bible study. He didn't find it particularly engaging or interesting or relevant, he said. Um, but somebody invited him to take a Bible. So he took a Bible away. And again, he said, I didn't really expect to. Learn much from it. As far as I'm concerned, we, we know that Christianity is kind of a, uh, a false religion. Jesus is a good prophet, but not much more. He said there are very low expectations of this. Uh, Sophie translating for me, by the way, while this conversation is going along, in case you wonder, my Afghan suddenly uh, leapt in its accuracy. And uh, he said he opened the Bible and started to read and. Not really, not really seeing much going on. But as he started to read, he said, over the coming days and weeks, he said he genuinely began to meet and encounter not just the theory behind the prophet Jesus, but the reality behind the Jesus that is God. And he said, actually, it was like Jesus came to life on the pages of Scripture. And he then received an invitation to kind of talk about that some more from some of these Canadians and Americans, and they ultimately led him to faith in Christ. And then one night, he had a dream. And in the dream, he, he, uh, he saw Jesus showing him some water that he needed to get into. And he went spoke to his Canadian-American friends said, so I had this dream, I, I saw Jesus, he told me to get into some water, what does that mean? And they're like, oh, let us show you a passage in scripture that talks about baptism. What you've seen is baptism. That's Jesus showing you that what he commanded 2,000 years ago is what he commands today to be fully immersed in water to replicate and symbolize all that he's already done for you through your salvation. Let's get baptized. So we came back that same day. We came back in the evening for his baptism. Uh, John and Sophie felt that given that he hasn't, there's some sensitive issues around him being there and his nationality and previous faith and so forth, it wasn't quite safe to baptize him more publicly in the morning. So I got to sneak into a more private thing thing in the evening as we baptize this precious, precious uh, new believer in Jesus. And during the conversation, I said to him, (laughs) uh, I felt very humbled afterwards, I said to him, oh, so what what difference has has following Jesus made in your life? And he looked at me slightly kind of quizzically and just said, everything, of course. And there's me asking my slightly kind of westernized, has Jesus made some adjustments to your life type question? He's, he's, I transformed my life. And he stood up and testified to this little bunch of Americans and Canadians and me and John and a few others. And he said, one day I want to go back to my village and I want to tell them the prophet lives and the prophet is God and the prophet is good. So like, this guy can preach already. It was so inspiring. And the reason I share that with you was not just because it's utterly inspired me, but also because I, I realized that the reason that he came to that place of, of baptism, of dramatic transformation in Christ, well, it all started from an invitation. It started from one person saying, do you want to come to a party? And someone else said, do you want to come to this Bible study thing? And someone else said, would you like to take away a Bible? And someone else said, would you like to discuss it? A series of invitations connected him with people and ultimately connected him with God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, the power of an invitation to connect people with people and to connect people with God. So if you're new to this series, we call it Connect. It's a series really around evangelism and what it means for us as a family to be equipped by the word of God to grow in being able to fruitfully and meaningfully and sensitively and kindly connect to people in order that we might connect them to God. And the passage that we've been camping out in is one chapter, John chapter 4, and the wonderful story of the woman at the well. And we see that this uh, approach of inviting people to connect to people and to God is not something these Canadians just kind of dreamt up. It's founded in Scripture. Indeed, it's right here in this passage. Jesus, and indeed the woman, connects with people through invitation. I want to just talk to you about connecting through invitation. I want to just look at two verses that bookend the passage in some respects. Verse 7 is kind of at the beginning of the, uh, of the passage. And if you know the story, Jesus is journeying f- uh, towards Galilee. It's like a 20-mile walk. He stops off at a well uh, to have a rest. And at the beginning of the passage in verse 7, we read that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Which we mentioned a couple of weeks ago is translated as a command, but I think we can assume that Jesus didn't just bark out a command. He asked a question, can I have a drink? And Jesus asked loads of questions, as we said two weeks ago. But I think as well as asking a question, Jesus is also issuing an invitation, isn't he? He's saying to this woman, can I get to know you? And indeed, would you like to get to know me? And indeed, as the, as the story continues, Jesus uses this whole, uh, the, the water as a metaphor, talk about how he offers a spiritual water that will never stop satisfying. Uh, he speaks into her life and tells her things that nobody else could ever have known, and indeed things that she'd rather nobody else did know. And so completely undone is she by this remarkable man who tells her, who tells her things about her past and loves her in his knowledge of her. She then says, or the passage tells us in, uh, in verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, her people, her community, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then later we're told that actually many of this community did put their trust in Jesus, did start to believe in Jesus. So what do we learn from the kind of bookends of this passage about the power of an invitation? What do we learn about connecting people to God? Evangelism through invitation. Numbers have gone funny, but don't let that worry you. We learn that connecting people to God, the power lies, first of all, the invitations connect us to each other, to community, to people. And second of all, invitation has a power to connect people to Jesus. So really, in some respects, Jesus is, come and have a drink invitation in verse seven. It's like an invitation just to connect to people. And we said the woman's invitation to come and see Jesus is an invitation to connect to Jesus. And we have the opportunity as a family, as a church, to do both, to connect to people, to invite them to know us, that we might be able to know them, and ultimately to connect them to God. So those are my two simple points this morning. So first of all, an invitation to know each other. So did you notice in that story about that wonderful young man from Afghanistan, the first invitation he received was just an invitation to a party just to come and be known and to meet others. It was nothing more dramatic than that. It was kind of an equivalent, really, you could say, to Jesus' woman at the well moment. Someone said to him, do you want to come and have a drink, basically? Or a cup of tea in in, uh, Istanbul culture, more more likely. Can I get to know you over a drink, Jesus said to this woman and was said to this young Afghan, Afghan man. And Jesus was always doing that. He was always issuing uh, invitations to get to know him and others over food and drink. I'm not just kind of using this point to make it work for me. Jesus was always doing that. Always. Invitations over food and drink to get to know people. So much so that in the Gospel of Luke, the rumor Luke tells us, the gossip about Jesus, what people are saying and criticizing him for is they say, this guy's always eating and drinking. That's the rumor Luke tells us about Jesus. People say that he's a glutton and a drunkard. So much is he constantly issuing invitations to connect over food and drink. He wasn't a glutton or a drunkard, but that was the kind of criticism from the religious moralistic types. In uh, in Luke 19 verse 5, you might know the story. Jesus sees this short man up a tree called Zacchaeus, this hated tax collector who's trying to get a view of what he's doing. And uh, in in Luke 19 verse 5, we're told. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up the tree and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. In other words, can I get to know you? And can you get to know me? And let's do that over food and drink. That's the basic thing that Jesus was saying. And culturally, at that time, to come in someone's home and share, break bread, if you like, share food and, and, and drink together was incredibly significant. It was a loaded thing to do. It carried enormous connotations of honor to come into someone's home and to eat and to drink with them. And so Jesus did it a lot. And so I guess the first application for us this morning, and you won't be, prepared, you won't be surprised to hear this if you've been at King's for any time at all, is are we, are we doing that? Is there room at our table? to connect with people over food and drink. And that's not just saying, let's have some sort of version of come dine with me in the church, because let's be like that program, because that's really trendy and cool. This is right at the heart of who Jesus was, constantly inviting people, or inviting himself (laughs) into people's homes to connect with them over food and drink, because he knew that was a place of honor. He knew it was a place of dignity. He knew it was a place where he could ask questions and listen, as we heard a couple weeks ago. is there room at your table to get to know people to connect with people over food and drink i am so encouraged to hear more and more stories of that in the life of the church people who are older, younger, male, female, single, married, whatever beginning to more and more make a priority of making room at our table ideally speaking for Christians and non-Christians to mix, to ask questions, to do what Jesus did so, I hope it's, a, it's, it's an organic, informal thing as much as anything else. I hope you don't need me to put a date in your diary to say, can you invite someone for dinner on that date? I think you'd be pretty offended if I did that. So, let's agree that's not a good idea. So, it's informal, it's organic, it's more and more, I trust, part of the, the culture of who we are. But at the same time, there are, if you like, more formal, organised things that we can do as a broader family that can help each other make invitations to connect to people. So for example, I was speaking to, uh, to Kate and to Anna. Anna uh, Kate works in the office and Anna leads uh, Elderbrades, which is a sort of new ministry we have, which reaches out to the uh, elderly or the older people in our community uh, to connect with them and to give them a space of hospitality and, uh, and in community and so forth. And they had a, a tea dance last Saturday, I gather it went really well, 1940s tea dance, some great music, they gathered a whole bunch of people. It sounded like a really, really good afternoon. And uh, Anna was telling me that she was able to invite her Muslim friend, who in turn, without her name, invited her mother, I think, and her sister. And they came along and experienced something of connecting to people, and connecting to, to Christian people. And I'm told that the, uh, the mother who's not well wants to come back. And Anna also told me a story that of some women that came from the uh, supported living centre in Chessington. And they've been invited to come along and just enjoy this wonderful afternoon of, of beautiful song and community and so forth. And I learned from Anna, I couldn't quite believe this, but maybe I'm, just, I'm naive about the reality of some people's loneliness. I learned that outside of going to Tesco's and those kinds of things, these women had not been out of their supported living centre for five years. Hadn't been to a social occasion for five years. And Rachel's nodding because she works in the same uh, world of connecting uh, with the elderly and trying to bring them a a space of community and companionship and not isolation and loneliness. Why? Because they were invited. Invitation has a power to connect to people. Let me just give you an example. Like I say, this is not always going to be... Uh, this is not that the church does everything, and we do, and nothing is organic. But there are other opportunities. Mike's already mentioned a couple of them. I chatted to Becca, who leads the women's ministry this week, the Cafe Catch-Up. Yeah, it's for you as women to connect and enjoy each other, but it's also an easy invite for anybody else that you know who wants to connect and have a good morning and, and have, a, have a drink of water at the well. It's literally that kind of moment, possibly. Uh, on Sunday, the 15th of June, uh, Louise organized a family picnic at Canberra Gardens, 12 till 2, I think. Really easy invite, especially if you've got friends who are parents with kids. Really easy invite. Come along, play around, have some food. And can we get to know you and can you get to know us? The power of an invitation to connect people with people. Sunday evening, the 14th of July, we're doing some men's uh, beer tasting again. We did it last year; it was really fun. I know a couple of you invited friends, but that's again strikes me as a pretty super easy invitation. Yeah, it's not just for us, King's Church. These kinds of things. Fundamentally, we exist for the people outside of this family. Our door is always open. I trust, and so these things are opportunities to invite people in to connect with us and us with them. Now, there's another. Um, kind of, uh, and if all those details are on Church Street, by the way, so don't worry if you haven't clocked the details, it's all on Church Street, and you can find all the details out there, and I think sign up for the women's cafe catch-up would be appreciated. There's another aspect to an invitation to just get to know someone, the kind of person-on-person stuff. You see, Jesus' invitation, this woman to give him a drink, wasn't just a conversation starter. It wasn't just a a question. Do you notice, it was also a, a, a request for help, please can I have a drink, I'm thirsty, you have something that I I need. Just just notice that, this is an example of how scriptures keeps on speaking, the more you read and read and read it, I've read this passage so many times, and here it just struck me, this is God, Jesus Christ, this is God incarnate, God in human flesh, asking for help. Now why is he doing that? Because he needs help? Nope, it's God incarnate because he's manipulative and trying to get something from No, it's Jesus, he came in grace and truth. I think Jesus knows that for him to ask for help from this woman bestows such dignity upon her. He's basically saying, you have something that I need. I don't just come with all the answers, though he had them. He's saying to her, not only are, is what you have of value, you are of value. Actually, asking for someone's help is a really powerful type of invitation. Please, can you help me? Let me give you an example. Um, My dad has uh, battled with uh, cancer for a number of years now. He's doing really well now. He's in in, in good remission. I know some of you know what that journey is is like, indirectly or directly. He had bone cancer. and uh, During that time, he needed to retire a bit earlier from work than he'd anticipated. Uh, And obviously, when you're having treatment, it's it's pretty grim, and you're kind of laid out. But in between, uh, he was keen to be active and keen to do things. And so he got chatting to a neighbour of his that he'd always chatted to over the years, um, but never really got beyond the kind of neighbourly, Western courtesy politeness stuff. This guy knew that my dad was a Christian, um, but but nothing nothing more than that. Um, but in the context of my dad not having time, I'm thinking like, well, when I'm feeling well, I want to do something with my time. Uh, he's a bit like me; he wants to be doing things and learning things. He said, "I'd love to learn about photography." Always wanted to, but never had any time to, and not much expertise either. So he said to this neighbour, um, I'm, "I'm pretty, pretty well at the moment. Is there any chance that you, because he knew that he was a, quite a good photographer, would you be able to teach me photography?" That's what he said. Can you help me? And the guy said, "Yeah, I, I would love to." And so they moved beyond this kind of neighborly, guy-to-guy, like, how high is your fence type conversation, through to, actually, can you help me, and this guy coming in. And they actually started to build quite a significant friendship based around this guy teaching my dad photography, which has benefited us, because we now get these lovely pictures of our, of our daughter and things. And my dad said that over the months, and it was months, their friendship began to become quite substantial. Because as guys, we, we do stuff alongside each other, we start to talk about things of some, of some reality. And this guy couldn't help but notice that my dad's going through back and forth from some pretty grueling uh, chemotherapy and drug trials and so on. So dad was able to say that as grateful as he is, and as we are, for the incredible service that is given in the NHS, fundamentally he was able to say that my confidence, my ultimate security, lies in a God who loves me, who's for me. I've got a hope beyond the grave. He was able to speak to his friends about these kinds of gospel faith conversations. Why? Because he leaned over the fence and said, I've got some faith things to tell you. No, he just leaned over the fence and said, can you help me? And from that invitation led to a significant conversation and a significant friendship. You never know what an invitation, just to help us, can lead to. I wonder whether some of us just need to worry a bit less about giving our neighbor a a tract or a a Bible, that that's a great thing to do. Maybe we just need to ask him to help us fix our fence. Because there's real dignity. in in, in an invitation to help us obviously if it's done badly it's manipulative to get what we want but done well it it bestows dignity and honour upon someone to say what you have is is of value to me you never know what that will lead to if you're a Christian God dwells within you you're united to Jesus, the greatest evangelist who ever lived. You are one with him spiritually, and the Holy Spirit is, committing to, is committed to forming you and conforming you and changing you into his likeness. So you can rest assured that actually an invitation to just connect with you or indeed to the family of God is more than that and may well lead to be an invitation to connect to Jesus, to God himself. And that's the, I guess, the ultimate ambition that we have is to help people know Jesus through an invitation. Let's go back into the passage. And uh, in verse 28, by now becoming a familiar verse, I suspect to us, the woman left her water jar. She's completely undone by this remarkable man who's told her everything about her and loved her through it. And she goes away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and we're coming to him. Come, come see, that's all she said pretty much. Come and see, do you wanna come and see Jesus? Do you wanna come and meet Jesus? Do you wanna come and explore and challenge him for yourself? And this is not just a one-off. Jesus often operated this way, drawing people to himself, and then through an encounter with him, they become the invitees of other people. We see in John chapter 1, so three chapters earlier, in the same gospel, as uh, John is, uh, sorry, Jesus is gathering his disciples to himself, the same pattern is, 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 uh, is um, on display. Let me read it to you. John 1, verse 40, I'm in. Mean. One of the two who heard John, this is John the Baptist, not the John that wrote this, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Invitation, come and get to know me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, in the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. see the pattern? And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. <coughs> Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a good skeptical remark. Nathanael's a born skeptic. Nazareth? Seriously? Anything of relevance to me there? King's church? What? Relevant? Christianity? Outdated? Not relevant to me. Philip said to him, Come and see. The pattern's right there, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I think he's purposefully laying down his pattern, if you like, for evangelism, for the church. He wants people, first and foremost, to come to him. And that's the invitation to you this morning, if you're not yet a Christian, to come to Jesus, turn from all that you've done wrong, put your trust in him, and begin to live a new life. And from that moment, you begin to be the kind of person who can invite others to do the same. And from that moment, you continually come to him to receive, the, respond to the same invitation. So we, we respond ourselves to the invitation of Jesus, and we begin to make the invitation known to others. There it is right at the beginning. Nothing more complicated than that in some senses. Let me uh, go back to the story of my, of my dad, because it carries on a little bit. So he's into some good conversations with this photography neighbor of his, taking some Good photos and having some good chats and walks and so forth. And uh, he decided it was a good time to issue another invitation. He said to this guy, There's a, I'd love you to come to church one Sunday. I've talked to you about a bit about my faith and Jesus. Why don't you come and look, 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 look for yourself? And he knew that that Sunday uh, they had a particularly good and gifted speaker. Uh, not my dad, that's probably why I think he waited for that moment. Uh, he said, come along and, and come in here. come and see, come and see what you think. And this guy was a particularly good and gifted speaker. Was a guy called Jay John. some of you might, might know, a gifted evangelist. And then this guy came. This guy came never been to church in his life bar the nominal moments of weddings and funerals and he responded to the invitation and came. I would love the story to be that he came to faith like the, our friend in Afghanistan. He hasn't done yet but he heard the gospel in a wonderful way. They've talked about it since and the conversation continues and all of that started from an invitation just can we get to know each other and then it became an invitation that listen as much as I'm enjoying getting to know you and you might be doing getting to know me I've, there's a God who is perfect and loves you and is for you, why don't you come and get to know him? That's what we're ultimately, I guess, about. I was chatting to my friend uh, Tom who's with us this morning just earlier on this week and Tom has been coming to Kings for a, for a few weeks and is uh, interested in spiritual things and believes much, a little, much about Jesus and is looking into all this kind of stuff and Tom and I were chatting this week and he was saying that uh, in a, a bar I think or, or some kind of a moment like that uh, he got chatting to a complete stranger a random random guy someone about his, his own age and it turned out that this guy they had some sort of similar things in common and got talking and this guy had some, had some of the big questions of life that he was asking and was open to new experiences so Tom said do, do you want to come to church tomorrow that's where I go come and see and this guy came like a natural woman at the well sort of moment now, interestingly that Tom did that he's only been part of us for a few weeks because for him that just felt quite natural well I'm, I'm experiencing something of Jesus something of spirituality something of hope and goodness on a Sunday maybe you'd like to come and see that too so how are we doing with that how are we doing with inviting people to church when was the last time you invited someone to church and for me it was last year wish it had been more, more recent than that. How are we doing with that? Now I suspect one of the reasons why we maybe don't do that as much as we might wish to, is because we're not, we don't like it if someone says no, or if they don't return our call, or if they look at us rather strangely. That's not unreasonable, I'm not going to mock that, I feel that when I invited a mate from Cricket Club last year and he, he said no, and he basically said no, and by interpretation, no and don't ever ask me again. Seriously, that's kind of the worst that can happen. If if you're a Christian, let me remind you who you are. You are affirmed and accepted by the creator of the universe who is your perfect loving heavenly father who speaks over you every day, I love you, I'm for you, you're amazing, I delight in you. So a bit of rejection from somebody, a friend, a neighbor? Come on. It kind of pales into insignificance. This friend, this, our friend from Afghanistan, I say our friend, this inspiring guy from Afghanistan, wants to go back and tell his village the Prophet lives and is God and is good. That's going to cost. I don't want to speculate what it will cost if it happens, but it will cost. So come on, King's Church. An invitation to come and know us. An invitation to come and know God. Often I say, listen, if you're often, you often use it in a sort of challenging way. I often say, I think you're, you're obviously a pretty open minded person. Why don't you come along and see? But nobody wants to say, I'm not an open minded person. <laughs> So we can remember, use questions, use questions to challenge and provoke. But why not build that more and more into the culture that we're used to giving out invitations and we're not fussed when someone says no or looks at you strangely? And we know that Sundays are not perfect. We know there might be odd things, and it's all a bit odd and strange to somebody that isn't used to church. All of it. I am deeply weird, I'm sure. <laughs> so I can't promise you that I will be a winsome, compelling speaker to the friend that you bring. But if God is here. The eternal God is here, who put the stars in the universe and knows all things, and has got a plan to bring a whole bunch of people, every tribe and nation and tongue, gender and age, to his family, then should we let him do that? But isn't the amazing thing that God asks for your help? Now we could get into interesting theological blind alleys with that. But it's true, God asks for our help, not because he needs it. But because partly, I think I've learned this week, partly because he knows, he's created us with such dignity, such inherent worth. Why does he ask me for my help? He doesn't need my help. But he's created you and I with such dignity and value and worth that he wants to. He wants to meet with friends and colleagues and neighbours of yours, specifically through your invitation. Now some of you don't believe that in here. You believe that in here and not in here. That's the, that's the nature of God. What did uh, Philip and Andrew in John 1 know about God? Well, they knew a lot about God because of the Old Testament and they were Jews. What do they know about Jesus? Virtually nothing. Did he put them on some intensive training track, leadership school, before they got to go and invite others? No, it's the first thing they did. Andrew and Philip met Jesus, wondered, thought he might be interesting and maybe uh, the Messiah and went off and got someone else to do the same thing. And one of them said, you are joking, what good comes out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see for yourself, Nathaniel, if you're an open-minded, post-modern, sceptical, liberal-minded guy, you'll be open to it, won't you? If you're a bit closed-minded and you know what you think already, then I guess it's not for you. Invitations are powerful, powerful things might not be church, might be Alpha. We've been thinking carefully about how we do Alpha. Not quite sure yet what the answer to that is, but we're committed to doing Alpha in some form. Might be more organic and through homes. Might be the carol service in December, for those of you who are super organized. Uh, In November, we're partnering with the other churches in Kingston, holding an event with the Ravi Zacharias International Ministry. Uh, Ravi Zacharias himself is not coming, alas, but the UK director is going to come, and it should be a great evening geared around helping believers to think and also helping unbelievers to to think or indeed challenge their thinking perhaps Louise and a great team running the half term holiday club for kids, it's kind of a a both and, it's a just come and know us, come and receive from us, come and let your kids have a great time, if you hate the idea of God but your kids have a great time, that's fine but also she, she and her team are teaching these kids about Jesus, saying come and see, it's not indoctrination, it's come and see, come and think for yourself who knows what that will lead to? On the 14th of July, is a King's Kids Party. Parents can come and drop their kids off and leave if they want to. They can come and, and join in if they want to. It's kind of a both ends. Let's build a culture where we're secure enough in Christ that we're constantly giving invitations away to people. To know us and our broader family, because the door's wide open, there's a seat at the table. And ultimately to know the Father who sits at the head of the table, who is so good, who feeds us and will feed anyone who comes along. Resist a bit of strategic diagram approach. For those of you who like a bit of uh, pictorial diagram, strategic stuff, this is basically what I'm saying, just to put it in kind of pictorial effect. This is not like I'm not going to send you this in an email on Monday and download it. And it's not like an uber formal thing, but it's a basic framework for what I'm talking about. That At the bottom of all things, as Mike has already been saying through this morning, as much as we exist to make God known, and to be known and loved in this family, fundamental, bottom line, first component is that we're here to know God. As Keith Gates so helpfully blessed and served you last Sunday by reminding you, you can be as practical as you want, bottom line is you can't commend what you don't intimately know for yourself. So bottom line is we're here to know God, and by know God we don't just mean store up knowledge about him, we mean worship and enjoy and cherish and submit to and trust and pray and develop our own personal intimacy with, as Jason was testifying, knowing God. And from that, we're seeking to layer upon that a a building of authentic friendships. Not because people are projects, but because we love people. Whether those friends are in the city because you work in London or we're in this borough or other side of the world because you're often flying out, we're looking to build authentic friendships. Does it mean we can't meet a stranger in a cafe and prophesy over them? Absolutely not. And we're looking at that next Sunday and I'm terrified. But along with that, along with that, or I would say underlying that, for us as a church, our, one of the prevailing cultures is we are committed to connecting into our community, building genuine friendships and getting to know people. Not least because in our context, people are very nervous <laughs> of anyone who will stand up and deliver a truth statement like me. What they are interested in is authentic, genuine connections and friendships and community that works. And we can offer them that. As we're doing that, This is not a linear thing, by the way, you can skip, well, you can't skip bottom one, but you you can skip the ones. Along with doing that, we then think, well, how can I invite these friends, how can I invite these neighbours to connect in with me and the broader family? So we give opportunities as a church, whether it's over food, beer, the elderly, the homeless, come and connect in to a homeless night shelter. I'm not going to preach it, you just kind of have a place of sanctity and safety and dignity. Cafe catch-ups, we will try and give each other opportunities outside of the organic and informal, simply to get to know us that we might get to know them. And then we layer upon that our ultimate desire, which is to invite people to come and know Jesus, come and know God. Which might be a one-off thing, like the Ravi Zacharias thing in November, or it might be an ongoing thing like Alpha, which probably is a a bigger ask again. Okay, so it's nothing out of the ordinary, but just to help you to see what I'm trying to bring to us as a a culture to embed. Always start from the bottom line, because as Simon Verga used to say in this church, you can't commend what you don't cherish. And you learn to cherish God, as Jason was saying, in the quiet place and in community. Finally, on that point, how do we know God more and more? I've already alluded to it. But the people who are most effective in giving invitations to those who don't yet believe are those who every day respond to the invitation of God themselves. I want to read a passage of scripture to you to uh, finish with. And in fact, I'm going to ask Ellen and the band just to come up and help us just respond in one song of worship. I love what uh, God says through the prophet Isaiah, if you want to turn to it. It's the last uh, scripture for this morning, Isaiah chapter 55. This is God speaking through Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. But you'll notice the parallels as to what Jesus says to this woman at the well, if you know the passage. This is God speaking to every one of us this morning for the first time or for a fresh time. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. I love this. God's like, we all thirst for meaning and purpose and love and if you have nothing to offer, that means you're particularly welcome. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread. <laughs> and your labor for that which does not satisfy. It's a good challenge there. Kind of came to a little bit in what Christy was saying. The good things are good. Relationships, success at work, flourishing kids, good health. They're good things. But they don't scratch the bottom, the ultimate itch that we have. They don't speak to the cry of our soul in a way that God does. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. King's Church, God would say this morning, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. That is God's invitation to you every day. Come, receive, eat, drink. I will satisfy you like no other. Some of you are like, let me out of this place so I can invite some people to church. Some of you are like, keep me in this place so I never have to invite anyone to church. But wherever you are on that spectrum or somewhere in between, the invitation is exactly the same. You have a God who is good and kind and for you and bestows upon you such dignity that he, the eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent God, would say, I want your help to invite people into my family. to do first receive my invitation yourself so can we stand I would love us just to sing this final song together and think less about the doing and just about the responding to God's invitation for you father thank you that you want our help you don't need it but you've commissioned us to partner with you in making your beautiful beautiful son Jesus Christ known to this borough this city and this world we thank you that it's happening with young Afghan men who knew virtually nothing in a city on the other side of the continent, and it can happen right here on our doorstep in this town, this city. We pray we would be men and women who are so secure and so delighting in our daily invitation from the God who loves us, this is for us, that we'd be a people who extend invitations. In Jesus' name, amen.